Our reading for this morning is from Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And this is God's holy word for us this day. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the fullness of assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray together. Father, again we pray that you will be magnified in our midst, that you would indeed be more precious than anything to us, that your glory indeed would be more more beautiful to us than anything we could imagine. Lord, help us this day to be taught by you in your word, challenged by you to right thinking, right living, in ways that honor you, not because we are earning anything, but out of gratitude for your goodness and out of hope of eternal life. God, be magnified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Jesus was once asked a pretty big question. In Matthew 22, 35 to 36, the Bible says, And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, that's a pretty important thing to know, wouldn't you say? What is it that God's Son says to us is the most important law God ever gave? Do you guys already know? What's the most important law God gave? Love Him? That's good. These guys got the whole thing over here. In Matthew 22, 37-40, Jesus says, And He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, Jesus adds. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus responded to the big question by giving the two top commands of God. Love God with everything you've got and love others. Now, here's what's interesting. No matter how simple that all sounds, and that sounds pretty simple, right? Love God with all you've got, love your neighbor as yourself. That's not complicated. God keeps reminding us over and over again that those are His commands. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to love Him. He wants us to show genuine love for one another. And Jesus says that if we do those things, we're going to be being obedient to all of the commands that God ever gave. But isn't it true that none of us have ever managed to fulfill those commands perfectly? You're going to agree with that, aren't you? We've never loved God the way we should. We've never loved others the way that we should. We have failed and God 
graciously provided us a way to be forgiven of those failures because Jesus came to die to pay the price for our refusal to love God and to love others the way God commanded. Now, keep that in mind and let me ask you another question. What is it that God wants from you in your commitment to the church, in your commitment to the body of Christ? Would it surprise you for what God wants from you and your commitment to the church to be pretty much the same thing that Jesus just told us? God wants you in your commitment to the church to love God and know God deeply. And he wants you in your commitment to the church to love deeply those who are part of the church with you. Does that surprise you at all? Last week, we were challenged by Paul's commitment to the church. As he wrote to the church in Colossae, Paul talked about how he gladly suffered hardships for the sake of the global church. Paul suffered to take the gospel to others, and he worked hard to communicate the truth of Jesus to others. And this morning, we're going to see something that is a bit more localized, more personalized in Paul's letter to the Colossians. Today, we're going to hear God challenge us in that passage to live out some other important commitments to the local church for the glory of God. And we're going to learn some principles here. And we'll follow those principles. And we're going to strive to obey God's big commands to love God and to love others. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow along with me. And I want you to find four keys, four points about our commitment to the church for the glory of God. And so are you ready? Got your papers ready to write? Point number one is going to be this. Love others in the church. Again, I hope you found out by now that these things are never complicated, right? Love others in the church. Verses 1 and 2 of Colossians 2 say this. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit Together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. At times, at times, the word of God lets us in to the prayers of the people of God. And when that happens, we should see that something very important is going on. I mean, think about this. If God is inspiring these texts, he is intentionally reminding us of things that his apostles and prophets were teaching to others and were praying for others. If God intentionally gives us a peek into the prayer lives of his apostles and to the prophets, he's clearly wanting us to know that he wants us to think in a certain way and to pray in a certain way and to take action to see that those prayers are fulfilled. Have you ever had somebody for whom you just agonized in prayer? Maybe it was a sick relative. Maybe it was people going through pain. Maybe it was a friend going through a messy divorce. But when you heard about the situation, you prayed. But you didn't pray in a typical way. Your prayers were fervent, maybe tearful. They were consuming kind of prayers. 
Paul says here as he opens this passage that he wants the people of Colossae to know that he struggles in prayer for them. And that struggle is the same word from which we get our word agonize. Even though Paul has never seen most of them face to face, he prays for them with all he's got. It shows us, of course, that Paul cares. It shows us that it matters because you don't agonize, you don't struggle in prayer for somebody you don't care about. It shows us something of the importance of other believers. But if we really want to learn from Paul's praying for the Colossians, and notice, by the way, he also mentions the Laodiceans. Laodicea was about 12 miles away from Colossae. If we want to know what's such a big deal, we need to see what Paul prays for them. Because if it's important enough for Paul, while in prison, to agonize in prayer over, it's important enough for us to learn and pray too. Now, there are going to be two things that we learn in verse 2 and verse 3 that Paul struggles for and desires for the church. In this point, we'll just get the first half of it. Paul is willing to give his all. Paul is willing to struggle and to agonize in prayer while in prison for the Colossians because he wants their hearts to be encouraged being knit together in love. Now, if I say I want your heart to be encouraged, you think of your heart, what do you think of? In our culture, heart is the way we talk about the center of our emotional being, isn't it? It's all touchy-feely and gushy. But in the Bible, when you talk about heart, it's much more than just emotion. Now, in Bible days, if you wanted to talk about where your emotions were, you referred to your bowels or your guts, which i got to believe would change the way love songs were written. The, 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 the heart is more representative of the total inner person, which includes your emotions, but also includes your mind and your will. All of that, is, that, that all the inside of who you are is your heart. And when Paul says he wants their hearts to be encouraged, then he's saying that he is struggling to see that the Colossians are spiritually and mentally and emotionally encouraged. He wants their thinking and their reasoning and their feeling to keep moving in the right direction. And we're going to see part of what has to happen for them to do that, for them to be encouraged in their inner selves. Paul wants to see them knit together in love. That's such a beautiful picture. Part of what it takes for a church to be encouraged in heart is for that church to be genuinely unified. Paul's prayer from prison for the Colossians and for the Laodiceans is that they, in their own individual communities of faith, would be bound together, that they would be inseparable, that they would be united in Christian love. Now, Wouldn't you agree that that sounds a lot like things we've heard out of Jesus already? In the upper room, you guys remember studying the upper room a little while ago in Sunday school? In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. This is a big deal to the church. Of course, it also sounds like what Jesus said to us is the second most important commandment, right? You love others, love your neighbor as yourself. 
And that, of course, is why we made our first point, love others in the church. So then comes another question. How in the world do we understand what it means to love each other? Because love is far bigger than emotion. Love is not about a bunch of sappy, squishy feelings. Love is not a little flutter in your stomach that is here one moment and gone the next. No, genuine love is something completely, completely different. Though it may include emotion, it should. It's way, way more. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Consider those words when you think about love. Not one of those phrases moves us toward a concept of something based in feeling. Though feeling may or should be present, the words of Scripture point us far more toward a kind of self-sacrificial attitude and commitment. Romans 5.8 shows us love. It says, but God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How did God show us love? It wasn't through poetry or tears or greeting cards. God demonstrated his love for us by rescuing us even though we were still sinners against him. God loved us by sacrificing his comfort for our good. God's love was ultimately expressed in Jesus Christ laying down his life for the children of God. So keep that in mind as you hear the Bible say that Paul agonized over the Colossian church wanting the believers present to have their hearts One of their hearts unified, knit together in love. Paul fought in faith through prayer for the Colossians that they would please, oh please God, become a body of believers who were committed completely to each other's good even when that commitment was costly. So if you're going to do what God wants you to do here, if you're going to be committed to the church, you need to know that God calls you to love others in the church. And that means that you and I work together to give up our sense of selfishness, to give up our sense of entitlement, and strive together for each other's good. It means that from time to time... We let go of our individual preferences. We let go of our individual desires for the sake of the good of others. We might even let somebody else sit in our seat. (laughs) Sunday school joke. 
It's going to mean, if you're going to love each other, that you sacrifice your comforts to be sure that you contribute to the growth and good of the body. And that might be in the little things. It might be in the big things. It might be that you give up what you thought were lifelong dreams for the sake of the church. It might be that you make sure that somebody else gets the last bagel. This all takes wisdom. It takes spiritual discernment. Can I tell you, Christians, that there is a fine line between guarding biblical doctrine and being an arrogant pain? You've known people on both sides, haven't you? You've probably been people on both sides. There's a fine line between helping somebody out of a jam and actually enabling them to keep getting into trouble. We need to be willing to sacrifice our rights and our needs for others, but we should not allow ourselves to be abused by others. So ultimately, here's what I think we need to know. Part of joining the church... Part of uniting together by covenant, which, by the way, is something we're intending to do some work on to make sure that we get that clearer in our church life. Part of that is you making a commitment. It's you making a declaration of biblical love. Because when we join the church, we're saying to the body, we are committed to the good of others in the body and we want the others in the body to be committed to our good too. I'm quite certain, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning too, I'm quite certain that you all are not going to like each other in the same way. Some people in this room or outside of this room will be easier for you to deal with than others. Biblical love helps us not to let those personality issues become divisions. Biblical love helps us to be sure that we remember that we're united by commitment more than by feeling. Aren't you glad, by the way, that you're united to each other more by commitment than by feeling? That's true in marriage. That's true in the church. You ever wake up one morning and not feel like being as married as you were the day before? So what? You're united by commitment, not by feeling. Same thing's true in the church. So, as we prepare to move on, just start asking yourself now, how's my love in the church? Are you committed to the good of others here? Are you committed to the good of others here even if it costs you your comforts? Are you you actively encouraging others? Are you doing things that knit us together as a body? Do you communicate your love to fellow believers in the church? And again, I'm not talking about sappy, but just letting people know I am here for you. I am on your side. I have got your back. I appreciate you. Whom might you encourage this week? Let's learn from Paul's prayer and struggle for the Colossians. And Christians, let's love others in the church. Second point. Grow in your knowledge of doctrine 
especially of Jesus. To be, the, sort of the latter half of verse 2. Again, Paul's talking about, I, I, I pray for you, I want you to be encouraged, I want you to be knit together in love. To reach all the fullness, sorry, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding. And the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul prays that the Colossians receive great riches, but the riches that he prays for are not the kind of riches that they treasure over on the strip. The riches that Paul wants the Colossians to have relate to understanding, to wisdom, to gospel. Paul wants the Colossians to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. There's a level of knowledge God wants his people to have. There's a type of knowledge, a type of understanding that he wants us to have. Paul prays it for the Colossians. Paul says, I want them to receive this kind of wisdom, this kind of knowledge, this kind of understanding. I want them to receive it like winning the lottery. I want it to be a big, big treasure for them. You know, last week we saw Paul make reference to this concept of of a mystery, right? Paul said his job was to communicate the mystery of God that was hidden during the Old Testament times, but which now is revealed. The mystery, of course, was Christ is the fulfillment of all of God's promises and that he's going to rescue anybody, Jew or Gentile, who will come to him. And further, the mystery is that when Christ rescues us, he indwells us, he lives in us by the Spirit of God. So what we see here is Paul wants the church, I want you to be encouraged, I want you to love each other, but it's not enough. I don't just want you to be encouraged and love each other. I want you in the church to find riches, spiritual treasure, by knowing and loving doctrine deeply. There is no such thing as a growing Christian who does not treasure doctrine. Nor is there such thing as a growing Christian who does not love others in the church. So here you go. Ask yourself, do I know and love the riches of God's Word? Are you the kind of person that cringes when people get off into doctrinal discussions? Or do you learn? Now, on the other side of the coin, let's get that love stuff in mind. Do you love doctrine to the hurt of others? We're supposed to love each other in the church. And that means, Christians, that you never bully or berate each other from a position of some sort of supposed doctrinal superiority. We're not going to be that kind of people. Okay? It's just not going to be okay. We love people and we love doctrine. We do not ignore doctrine for the sake of people and we do not ignore people for the sake of doctrine. That's Christian living in the church. Now, what doctrine does Paul want the Colossians particularly to love? He wants them to understand, remember, all that hidden mystery, all that fullness of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I mentioned that fullness stuff. I want you to have the full understanding of these riches, of this mystery, fullness and mystery and all that stuff. It's there again, right? We keep hearing fullness and mystery language. Why? 
You know, there are some people out there who act as though they've discovered the doctrinal truth that really fills up our knowledge. They found the key to unlock the secret spiritual door and they've got the treasure house because of the doctrine they understand. You ever met anybody like that? In Colossae, there were people who, in various ways, were trying to say that they have ascended to a higher spiritual level because of their knowledge, or because of their religious activity, because of what they would eat or not eat, because of what they would drink or not drink, because of what festival they would celebrate or not celebrate, or because of mystical spiritual experiences they had or thought they should have. You know what Paul wants you to know, though? This is what's so cool about this passage, if you get it. Paul wants you to know that the complete treasure of wisdom and knowledge is found in the mystery of Jesus Christ. You know what it is? You know what the mystery is? You know what the knowledge is? God the Son came to earth and lived a perfect life and died as a sacrifice for the sins of God's children and rose from the dead and promised to come back. And that is a glorious truth. And we can't hear it too many times and we can't focus on it too much. Church, let us be the kind of people who love each other and let us be the kind of people who love the Word of God and let us treasure biblical doctrine and let us especially treasure the Gospel. It is not enough. It is not enough to love people with empty heads. Nor is it enough to think with empty hearts. Paul's desire is that the church be doctrinally sound and deeply loving. That's what he struggles for them in prayer. He wants them to love each other and to understand and love the gospel. And I just love, don't you just love the fact that right when Paul is surrounded by people that think, oh yes, I've come to a higher spiritual level than all of you because of my knowledge. Paul says, you know where the richest knowledge is? It's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying go to the gospel and never get any wiser or deeper. But don't ever get so deep that you don't stick with the gospel. Third point. Watch out for deceptions. Look at four and five. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Now, one might wonder, why is Paul telling the Colossians all the stuff that he's praying on their behalf? Why does he tell them that he wants them to be lovingly committed to each other's good? Why does he want them to find treasure in the gospel of Jesus? And Paul says he tells them this stuff because he does not want them to be led astray by others. Because there are people who would present plausible, deep-sounding arguments that could shake the faith of the believers in Colossae. Paul doesn't want that to happen. And so he reminds them that they need to focus deeply on the original gospel and they need to strongly be united in love for each other. Now, without pointing fingers at any individual or group, you do know that there are certain Christians out there today who focus on obscure doctrines and somehow think that they have found the key to unlock all the mysteries of Scripture. They're so much better than you. Those people exist. You know that, right? 
There are people out there that think they can find secret codes in the Bible and in the numbers. And if you don't understand all the things that I understand about what the number 7 and 144 mean, oh my goodness, you are just not a good Christian. But there are some people that focus so much on their study of the way things were in first century Jewish life that they would make you feel that you cannot possibly be a good believer if you cannot quote the Shema in Hebrew. By the way, that kind of overfocus on the first century life of Christians is what eventually led N.T. Wright to believing in the new perspective on Paul, which did great harm to the church. Some people think that if you don't have a mystical spiritual encounter or some sort of second outpouring of the Holy Spirit on your life that you didn't get when you got saved, you don't rise up to the next level of the faith. Some people think that if you don't understand their view of the millennium, you cannot be a wise believer. Some argue that everybody should understand their view of Christian freedom in exactly the same way that they do. And if you don't understand freedom the way I understand freedom, then you're either a legalist or an antinomian. And here's the danger, folks. A lot of those people that go that way make arguments that seem sound. They don't look stupid all the time. God wants us to know that He does not want us to be misled even when people come to us with convincing sounding arguments. Well, Travis, how do you guard against those convincing sounding arguments if they're convincing sounding? Love the Gospel so much. And love the church so much that you're not going to be led astray by somebody who would lead you astray on secondary matters. See, there are always going to be people who would walk you away from the gospel by walking you beyond the gospel. We, no matter how much we love studying, no matter how much we need theology, and I love reading theology. I really do. I I, I will read those big 1,200-page theology books for fun. I'm just a nerd that way. But we, no matter how much we love it, must never allow ourselves to become so fascinated with any one particular stream of doctrine that we let go of the gospel or stop loving each other. We can't do that. So, if the gospel's here, I got no problem with you kind of looking down a vein of theology. Okay, I'm going to study some spiritual gift study. That's great. But if you ever study it so far that you let go of the gospel and you've stopped loving the church, you're wrong. Or, man, I love it when my wife studies things like biblical womanhood. The whole complementarity stuff. Mitzi does a great job of just coaching women on that stuff. But you know what? If, if we ever see somebody love biblical manhood and womanhood so much that they stop holding on to the gospel because they're so enraptured by their view of manhood and womanhood, they're wrong. And they will stop being loving and they will tarnish the gospel. Make sense? You with me? Be careful. Love the church, love the word, 
love the gospel, and don't let anything, no matter how plausible sounding, take you away from those things. Now, thankfully, according to verse 5, Paul is convinced that the Colossians are standing firm. He rejoices over their good order, their firm faith. He's been told about this from Epaphras. It gives Paul joy. He's like like a well-organized, like a well-ordered military unit. The Colossians are in line and standing strong and they're not going to fall. That's good. Now, when you read later in this chapter of Colossians, we're going to get a sense of the kinds of false teachers and the kinds of arguments that were out there messing with the Colossians. But we need to know, even before we read the next verses, Paul is sure that on the whole, the Colossian church is stronger than all that. The Colossians are not like the Galatians who were letting people steer them away from the gospel into legalism. They were not like the Corinthians who were tolerating gross immorality. The Colossians were not like the Thessalonians who had allowed themselves to be convinced by somebody that the day of the Lord already happened. They were were going to be able to defend themselves against false teaching. But it still didn't prevent Paul from praying for them from warning them and from reminding them to love each other and to love the gospel deeply. So what do we do? We watch out too. We keep our eyes on the gospel. We love doctrine. We love each other. We have to understand that it's easy for people to be led astray. So we keep our guard up for the sake of each other and for the glory of God. We never let ourselves go so far down any mystical or obscure theological path that we end up changing our understanding of the gospel. We just don't do it. We watch out. Fourth point, last point. Walk in the gospel with gratitude. Walk in the gospel with gratitude. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Can I ask you guys just simple, just me and you, would you guys say we've learned a lot in Colossians so far? There's a lot here, isn't there? Would it surprise you to know then that we just now read the first actual command given in the letter? Everything we've learned so far, everything we've challenged ourselves to be and to do so far has come from Paul's example and the truths in his prayers. Now we get a direct order. The command starts with, therefore... If you see a therefore, you always begin by asking what it is there for, right? Because Paul is confident in the firmness of the faith of the Colossians and the orderliness of their doctrine, he has a command for them. What is that command? The command is, as you guys have already received Jesus, keep walking in him. Now, the reference back to how you receive Jesus takes the Colossians back once more to the original gospel, the way that they heard it. Paul preached the gospel. Epaphras heard the gospel. Epaphras brought the gospel to Colossae, and the Colossians believed the gospel. Now, do I know exactly what words Paul used or what Epaphras said exactly to the Colossians? No. But I can tell you right now, I can put together that message. The Colossians learned that God exists and that God is holy, and that God is perfect. And they learned that all people in the world have sinned against God, and all of us have earned God's judgment. But thankfully, God chose to provide forgiveness and salvation for people who could otherwise never have it. 
And that salvation does not come to anybody on earth through being good enough or acting religious enough. No, the only way that anybody is ever saved is through the person and work of Jesus Christ, the rescuer that God promised from the very, very beginning of the Bible. Jesus is the Son of God, God in flesh. He came to earth to live out the perfection that you and I could never live. Where God told you live perfectly and you didn't do it, Jesus did it and he offers you to trade. You good with that, by the way? Is that a good trade for you? Where you failed and deserved to be punished for your sins, Jesus died as a perfect sacrifice. He took the punishment that you deserve and offers you a trade. That's a good trade too. Jesus rose from the dead and says, if you're with me, you get to come too. Jesus reigns in heaven and Jesus promises he's going to come back to earth and fix everything that's been messed up by sin. And anybody, anybody who turns from trying to rule their own lives and yields themselves to God, anybody who places their faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for their hope of salvation is going to be is, has been forgiven by God and will be with him forever. That's the gospel that the Colossians heard. And you know what the command is? As you believed in Jesus like that, as you heard that gospel, keep walking in that Jesus. Live this out. Live with that at the center of your being. Live with deep roots in the gospel. Be built up and grow up into maturity like a house built on a strong foundation. Be established as a church, not by your size, not by your uniqueness, but be established by being a church that totally lives in the message of Jesus in the way it was taught from the beginning. And I love that last phrase. He wants them to walk in Jesus abounding in thanksgiving. Church, we cannot overemphasize this. Gratitude should mark our church. Gratitude should mark our thoughts related to the gospel. We could not and did not deserve salvation. But God, by God's own grace... For God's own glory, by God's own methods, has chosen to rescue us from our sin if we know Jesus. We had no hope. God did all the work to rescue us. We could never have chosen God on our own, but God gave us hearts to come to Him. Church, thank God for His gospel mercy. Do you see how this all reminds us of the two greatest commands in the Bible? Jesus said, love God with all you've got and love each other. Paul agonized in prayer for the Colossians as a church that they would do the same two things. Love each other in the church. Again, think about how can I communicate my love for and commitment to the other people that are part of this church. Love biblical doctrine, especially the gospel. You love God more when you love His Word and love the gospel and love what He says and love what He wants you to do and love what He's promised. But watch out for dangerous deceptions. Never let anybody move you away from the genuine gospel, no matter how cool their new theological view is. And Christians walk in the gospel. Love God with gratitude. 
And if you're here this morning and you're not sure where you stand before God, when we're done here this morning, would you come talk to me? Because I would love to help you to know more about responding to Jesus and finding this grace for which we are all so very, very grateful. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, in a moment, we're going to experience an expression of gratitude for the gospel. And we're going to be united in love for each other as we celebrate Lord's Supper. But even before that, because of your word, would you do amazing things in us? Which of us here, Lord, needs to love others in the body better? Would you help us do it? Which of us needs to give up his comforts, his or her plans, in order to show a stronger commitment to the body? Help us do it. Which of us needs to know you and love you better by loving your word and digging deep into the gospel and digging deep into doctrine and digging deep into scripture. Let us find ways to do it. But we need to watch out for dangers. Give us wisdom. And just let us be a people that walk in you, truly loving you, truly established in you, truly making every step of every day about you. That's our prayer, and that's our need in Christ's holy name. Amen.